Hello, and welcome to Alive or Just Blethering, a podcast where two 30-somethings discuss the music we found and loved growing up. My name is Keith McLeod, and with me is my fellow host, Chris Lavender. Today on Alive or Just Blethering, with our special guest Paul Walsh, we're discussing The Remote Part by Idlewild. A very good day to you, Keith and Paul. How are we all? Not too bad, not too bad. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, good, man. And thanks for coming on, Paul. It's, uh, I'm excited about this one. I can tell. It's been, it's been a hell of a week of, of messages from you, Keith. Well, yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a bit special about Idlewild, to be fair. Is that sarcasm? Or is this, is this, is this true love? No, it's, it's, it's absolute devotion. Like I get wee heart eyes in, in my face whenever I think about Idlewild. Thanks, everyone, for coming back. Uh, if this is your first time on the podcast, welcome. This is Alive or Just Blethering. Uh, if you've come back, returning listener, thank you very much. Please do join in the conversation at AOGB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook if you're into that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, so... We've still not got, uh, we've still not got TikTok. We've not got did, did, did you Did you decide against it? I just I just can't bring myself to have it on my phone. But also a quick update from last week. We said we were going to talk about a completely different album that is absolutely not Idlewild. We just <laughs> literal polar opposite of Idlewild. Oh uh, yeah, we th- <laughs> to the listeners we said we were going to talk about No FX. You were maybe expecting No FX, uh, an American punk band. This is not an American punk band. This is a <laughs> Scottish indie band. And of course we've got we've got Walshy on to to help us talk about it. So yeah. Slight clarification there. We just got our weeks mixed up. But anyway, so Idlewild. Here's a band that I discovered from a little-known music channel back in the early 2000s called, was it Play? Play Music? There used to be a, a, it was before Freeview, there was a company called On Demand. And they had all these UK TV channels. So it was like UK TV Gold, UK TV whatnot. And they had a music channel. And it was sort of like an in-between of like The Box and MTV2. It was a little bit alternative. And that was the first time I heard Idlewild. No recollection. I can't say I've ever heard of that. No. I've, I've heard... I remember, like, sort of, if you were to say to me, like, the Sky Channel, like, UK Gold or something, or Gold something, I remember that, because I just played all the old, sort of, sitcoms and stuff. I'm sure it was, like, the same branding, but it was a music channel, and like I say, it was only on, I'm sure it was called On TV, or On Demand, whatever the name was, whatever was, whatever became Freeview, you used to have to buy a special box, didn't have a subscription, but you, you bought the box outright for like £100 and you got additional channels. And this was before Freeview was a thing. So this Yeah, was... no, I, I, I do remember the precursor to Freeview, but your random channel is not doing anything for me here. It doesn't have to, but ultimately that was where I discovered Idlewild because they used to play a lot of indie music like Idlewild and Feeder and that ilk of, of music that got me sort of onto them. And I, and I distinctly remember not changing the channel wow well that's a positive isn't it really because how much music do you listen to these days and you just immediately switch off because it's just not like 
in theme of of what we've grown up with. Do you know what I mean? Oh, or it's so much easier to skip. Like it's you know like oh I don't like that song right. I'll go listen to that or I'll go listen to something else. I suppose I remember the music channels as well. Just well, I can't remember if it was when we were you know say it was two thousand two, but definitely by like say like two thousand ten. I'm sure we've talked about this before, but there were just adverts. Like, it was just every 15 minutes you got, like, three songs and then, like, three minutes of adverts. And it just became, like, a normal TV channel. Like, it wasn't music television anymore. It was it was programming of three, four songs, adverts. Three, four songs, adverts. And that, I hated that stuff. Yeah. Was it that? But, uh, yeah. So, Welshie, you've, you've brought Idlewild to us. I feel like it's a band that we would not cover on the podcast because we've, we've generally been focusing on mostly probably heavier stuff. We, we, the, the one outlier that I can think of is D, uh, DJ format, DJ format album, which is probably the only one that's sort of off that trend. And this is one that I don't really think that we, we it was never on the list. Was it on the list, Keith? It might not have been on the list, but I might have rectified that. So you can speak for yourself here, love. <laughs> we rect- last week we rectified with with Offspring, so sure, sure. This this would have been there. Good. So yeah, I suppose it, yes, because with your with your Offspring, because again, bands like that, again, that that goes back to like my favorite time of music, and it's probably my you know to date maybe my favorite time of life. Do you know what I mean? When you're sort of like mid teens, things are yeah. quite exciting. You know. Your life's changing. You've introduced all these new weird and wonderful things. And weirdly, as you mentioned, Offspring, I remember going on holiday and with, do you remember you used to have these sort of like big CD players, like portable CD players? Yeah, like the little boombox things. Yeah. Brought that on holiday, totally forgot to bring any CDs. And, <laughs> and uh, when, and I think, I think we were in Spain. And we went to this like big kind of uh, shopping center, supermarket type thing, and I bought two albums. Uh, and one of them was uh, the Remote Part, uh, which is obviously the, the kind of album that we're going to speak most about today. I think, although happy to speak about any Idlewild album, to be honest. But then the other one was the, the Offspring, and I can't remember what the name of the album was. It's blue with this sort of red fire kind of coming out. Conspiracy of One. Conspiracy of One, yeah. I remember listening to those two albums basically on repeat for the full holiday. Um, and and I still listen to you know I I quite like the sort of punky um, I don't know I don't know actually what Offspring are kind of classed as but you know kind of fast paced rock punky stuff going on pretty good I, I I like all that stuff so I suppose a bit of background before we get too much into the remote part Walsh and I we were in a band or I was I was in your band you 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 graced me with with your band or for for. One summer and then maybe about two years. Yeah, it was a wee while. Yeah, we did uh, we did a, a local band called The Limits. Check us out, give that a Google, you know, the, the, the Limits music or whatever it is, if that stuff's still online. And yeah, you were, you were our front man, you were our guitarist, rhythm guitarist. We had the wee man on, on lead in that. And yeah, you've been quite musically oriented most of your adult life, is that fair to say? Oh, definitely. Like, so you went solo as well for a while. I remember. Well, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I'm so. I've always been creative as a as a, as a person. From when I was a kid, you know, I picked up a guitar pretty early on, maybe sort of like eight or nine or something like that, and quickly learned a few basic chords. And from there, 
I was already writing songs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So sure. it, it was like I remember writing like my first. I, I like got like a first album when I was like twelve or something like that. Worth of worth of tunes, and they're absolutely horrendous. But you know, <laughs> but I, and then I actually found the lyrics of of some of this stuff. You know, a yes. couple of years ago when like my mum and dad were clearing the house out and stuff, and. But I looked back and I thought, oh man, that's actually pretty impressive for like sort of 11, 12 year old kind of kids doing that stuff. And it was so like Louis Capaldi, you broke my heart, all this sort yeah. of stuff. Do you know what I mean? But it was actually, that was like my introduction to the sort of music. And then going to high school, obviously, again, you sort of meet all these new weird and wonderful people. But ironically enough, then made a band with the guys who I'd kind of grown up going to school with, like Thomas Muir and uh, Stephen Povey. Um, do you know what I mean? So God it was kind of like man. that. Yeah, uh, Michael Hege as well, of course, or Michael Clarkson now. Um, so it, it's things, you know, it's, it, that that introduction um, to sort of music was awesome. And then, as I say, that you at that time of my life, so we're kind of going back to like, you know, year 2000, say, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002. That's where your, your Idlewild bands and all this sort of stuff, that's where they were kind of, there's a bit of a grunge kind of scene going on, like a post-Nirvana type type fallout, wasn't that? Yeah, totally. Um, and I kind of see like, you know, bands like, like Idlewild who started off very grunge and they've went in this like mental diversification of music to like, they've started, you know, or more re most recently, they're kind of doing like almost like country type music, which is it's yeah. just to totally crazy, yeah. like how, how the, the, the band has changed over the years. But, you know, keeps keeps different people coming back. They introduce themselves to a whole new audience every time. It's actually really commercially savvy, I'm sure. I'm, I've got a bold statement on that. I've, I've got a bold claim to make. I would say Idlewild are the Scottish Incubus. The Scottish Incubus? You know, what? they started off... Yeah, they, well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm reaching there. I'm totally reaching it. It probably <laughs> means nothing to, to anyone listening. But, like, you, you know, they, they sort of started off uh, a little bit more punkier. Not, I'm, not, I'm not saying they've tracked the same way in styles as Incubus, but like musically, they've been around for years. So what the the band the band started in two in nineteen ninety five, very close to, to sort of Incubus origins. They were a very sort of like scratchy little punk band with sort of your alt rock or your indie rock influences there. And like Walsh is saying, as they've came along, listen to them today, they're not that punk band anymore, and the remote part is very much a bit of a turning point where they've left a lot of their punkier roots yep. and gone more into alt rock and gone more into indie and to the point where these days that they're very much soft rock yeah still still on that indie lane and i think sometimes it's difficult to i'm gonna say i was about to say it's sometimes it's difficult to listen to them nowadays because the band i fell in love with was like yeah it's a different they, they audibly are quite different yeah yeah, but but I do I do find myself listening to some of her new not all I would say but but certainly some of her new stuff or new newest stuff, um like the front man Roddy uh, Roddy Wimble, he's kind of he's off doing his own solo projects and things like that now and he's gigging and, and touring across the UK just now and yeah you know I, I, but but the band seem to come together every so often as well which is which is cool so I I I'll try and get myself as many any and many gigs as I can when it comes to them I did get to see them live actually very recently in the what was it called that was the, the it's by the by the veterinary school it was a really small venue and they oh. were doing what's it called the, the some summer hall summer hall summer hall summer hall thank you so uh they were doing like a special one-off show where they just performed the captain ep right yeah. from start to finish and they even had 
the original bassist Bob playing with them as well. That's cool. awesome. It was really it was a really good show. Uh they 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 absolutely smashed it. They totally just played played their hearts out and it was like they never changed. But it's interesting that you bring up uh, the point of of a band that you can no longer listen to or that you no longer recognize. Um similar Scottish band Biffy Clyro, I would say started off as quite a grungy sort of harder band. Um, almost math rock. Almost, almost math rock. Um, indeed, almost math rock. Uh, the first three albums uh, certainly got that kind of almost at the drive-in sort of element to them. And then by now, if you listen to a, a Biffy Clyro album, the last, I'd argue the last four albums, basically just all sound the same. Just big, anthemic, formulaic songs that don't interest me in the slightest. I've listened to every Biffy album when it get when it gets released. And I've never gone back to a single one of them since, like going back to like 2007's Puzzle. I think is really the last one that I'll really give time to. Um, but it's interesting that bands do evolve and they do change their sounds. And as long as the band is accruing more fans per album, then then they're losing. As long as they're gaining more than they're losing, then then they're winning. But if changing their sound album to album results in fans dropping off, then that's where you know they start drifting off into obscurity. And then that is where I sort of draw similarities to Incubus, okay. you know, and how how the sounds have changed per album over the years, and how they're almost a completely different band. But anyway, that that's just me reaching out. Let's go back to two thousand and two. We're Walshy, we're in Spain somewhere, we've got a CD player with no CDs. What made you pick up the remote part? And I think it was my dad actually. It's, we were weirdly sort of browsing through. Remember, I used to go into like HMV or whatever, and you'd like, yeah, we still do, um, you know, browse through the CDs. And nope. then kind of all of a sudden, uh, my dad was like, oh, that's a, that's a Scottish band, that. And I was like, who picked it up? And it was a very dull, boring album cover of this like little boy just like this. And I was like, oh shit! <laughs> was that the one? <laughs> and then I want, I then, want the one with the flames on, Dad. Yeah, yeah I want the flames. I think this was a compromise. I think I'll get you the flames, but can you also take this Scottish one? I think he wanted to listen to it for himself, you know. And uh, but then I, I remember sort of picking it up, and then I remember seeing the, the one of the song titles, American English, and that was in the charts at the time. And I remember thinking, oh, actually, I didn't realise that was that band. Yeah. Um. So so actually, um, the remote part was like, as I say, it was like that was my the first album I bought from Idlewild, and then I kind of worked my way back um, sure. to the sort of earlier stuff, obviously, because that's kind of what you do. Um. But yeah, so that, that that was kind of it. I remember, yeah, just sort of browsing through the CDs, and then then sort of picked it up. And then, yeah, as I say, on holiday, where you're kind of your your big massive CD player, trying to look cool next to the pool, yeah, just listens. And then I was just over and over and over. But I, I like, I was immediately hooked on that album, and just it was, yeah, it was it was one of those sort of, I don't know, I, as I say, it felt like it's like a defining moment for me because I was sort of started to to do stuff in a band of my own around this kind of point, and I remember thinking that's the kind of music I want to write, you know. I wish, I wish I was there, just across the pool, you, where you're a little CD player, and like American English is just bleeding through, like, you know, you're just, you're just, like, 
where the songs were all written and like I, I I just I just can't I can't imagine like what what what's going on here? Like are you like a complete emo kid in the corner <laughs> just like crying your eyes out to American English or bleach blonde curtains, I may add. Um... Yes. And, and probably a six pack. You know, it's probably the last time I had a six pack. Was coming back <laughs> then as well. You know what I mean? Great. Um, but yeah, so good times. Good times. The for me, Idlewild, sort of very similar to what you were saying about American English. Uh, two thousand two, I think I started my first like part time job, just in retail, a certain shirt brand that I'm not going to go into, but. You know, you're 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 in a shop. It's retail. It's it's a very sort of family friendly shop. You have to play family friendly music, and we sort of talked about compilation albums last week, Lav, or at least mentioned them. And you know, you've got your now thirty six or your now whatevers. Mm-hmm. We played the now albums for 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 music in the shops, and American English was on this now thirty six or now whatever it is. I, I don't know. I don't know why I keep on coming back to thirty six. Was it your first? But, was now thirty six your first now album? No, 30, the number 36 has a other significance for me, but nothing to do with now albums. Fair enough. It's it's the level Charmeleon evolves into Charizard in Pokemon Red and Blue. Fucking <laughs> right. You've watched an audience. <laughs> ah, no, we've got, a, we've got a stronger audience for it, if you ask me. But, so, American English. And I just I just loved it. I just I just honestly loved it. It blew me away. Like I just thought it was... I don't even know if it was maybe... Just hearing a Scottish accent on a voice, or like on a song, you know, it's it's not sure. There's there, there's Scottish artists out there, but it, to me at that time, it wasn't it wasn't as prolific. You didn't you didn't you didn't you didn't have Simon what's his face from from Biffy like singing it, at, or at least playing in shops, or, or or wasn't someone I knew in two thousand two. So American English is where I sort of was introduced to Idlewild, but it wasn't until years later that I kind of have to admit that it was through Spotify and just kind of going through the greatest hits and just picking up songs and picking up tracks here and there or the, the This Is Idlewild um, playlist that I started to hear more songs and then I journeyed through the albums and I've been there been there ever since. Like I don't, I don't listen to Idlewild every day, but every day I do listen, but whenever I do listen to them, like I just, I just it's like, it's just like coming home Sitting by the fire, getting a cup of tea, getting your slippers on, and just fucking, just listening to Idlewild, man. It's just so good. I think I've seen them definitely once. Where at? Maybe tw- ABC Glasgow. Nice, good venue. I can't remember when. Twenty twenty thirteen. Oh wow. Twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. ABC Glasgow. But yeah, just from that point, you know, here in American English in a shop, I was like, now nah, these are definitely someone I want to listen to. And uh, and I did. I think it's interesting point you make around the Scottish accent as well, because obviously we Scotland as a country has like a magnificent back catalogue of like artists, yeah, and musically, you know, actors around the world and stuff like that as well. And the Scottish voice, when you know most people around the world would say that it's a nice, attractive voice. And it makes makes me kind of wonder why there are so many bands, Scottish bands, that don't sing with their own voices. They sing with an American twang, don't they? Yeah, I'm absolutely. Absolutely guilty of doing that myself. And only recently, I've tried through, you know, some, some of the songs that I do with the, the children's story books, is to is to be a little bit more 
me, Scottish, but a bit more yeah. Scottish. Yeah, and it's like, but then you almost feel a bit like a fraud <laughs> speaking in your or singing in your own accent. It almost feels like, why are you singing like that? Because you've been taught to 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 sing like Kings of Leon or something, you know? Yeah, I, I, no, I, t- I totally like. You you were a vocalist in a band. I've never been a vocalist in a band, but when I do sing along, like I'm not singing. I don't know how to sing. I will never say to anyone I can sing. What I do is I impersonate. Like if there's a if I'm singing to a song, I'm impersonating that vocalist because I don't know what I'm doing vocally, right? But when it comes to Idlewild, I don't feel like I have to impersonate as much. I mean, I do because, by the way, best vocalist name we've ever had on the pod. Roddy Womble has like such a distinct I think I think he's got a really distinct voice I think he's got a really distinct way of of how he like builds his lyrics because they don't always necessarily fit perfectly I don't think like there's almost a, a spoken wordness to to his vocals and yeah I'll, I'll I'll try and sing along to that maybe and almost definitely butchering it but yeah it's it's just it is nice to sort of hear that Scottish accent and be maybe be like, maybe this is how I should sound when I'm singing. And actually, I'm helping uh, Dave Williamson, who, if I know you, you, you know Dave, but yeah. Um, but I'm actually helping him sort of with a little bit of you know lyrical help for for his projects as well. Awesome. And that 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 sort of just spurred on a little bit again more creativity. I I, I haven't written, or up until probably November last year, I hadn't written anything meaningful for like almost a decade because the band like the limits kind of stopped in what a for me 2022 so yeah it's probably about 2012 that we had that we had that final gig Mm -hmm. so that's that's 10 years of like where does that creative energy go and that's probably why i ended up you know writing storybooks and things like that as well because i feel like i needed that release to go somewhere but but as i say it's it's a it's a when you're on top, if that makes sense, when you when you're when you're buzzing from writing, you are. I I'm speaking for myself here, obviously. I've been therefore listening to more music. I start listening to more diverse music, and I've yeah. got like a bit of passion about music again. And um, oh, it's so weird. Dave Hobson's literally just text as as this has come through. That's just, okay. <laughs> just got a notification down, Dave. I was like, oh, he's probably just up. He's in Canada, though, isn't he? Yeah, he's in Canada. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, so uh, the the kind of point I'm trying to make here is that. When I listened, you know, to, to, to bands like Idlewild, Biffy, you know, all the, all these kind of bands growing up and stuff like that, for a long time I probably tried to to to, to almost impersonate them. But actually re- recently as I've kind of matured and got a bit older and I actually had a break from music, if that makes sense. Yeah. I've actually found something that's a little bit truer to me, if that's Amazing. the right way to put it. But I always go back and, and Idlewild, like, like yourself, Keith, it's a, it's, I don't listen to them every day, so I don't think it's healthy. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but when they come on, I'll not switch off. No matter one, what the song is. One, one thing that still sticks to me as a bit of a failure is when we were in a band and we were writing songs together, I never got a double kick into The Limits. That was sure? the, Yeah, I think I think we got some drop D songs. Because the because the limits were were predominantly an indie indie rock band, and I mean there was some you know borderline acoustic songs in there at some points, and I I I came in and I obviously had more m- m- metal influences and heavier influences and stuff like that, but I, I always wanted to we we got some riffs we got some chugga chum chums and we got some palm mutes and we we definitely went down to drop D on a couple of tunes, 
but Gary would never double kick in it. And, and I was just like, man, just 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 give me a just give me something. Gary Anderson, phenomenal drummer, probably the only guy in that room that actually knew what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say, <laughs> absolutely, you know, you know, and he he would just he would just he never he never broke in. He would just he just nah, because that's not his style. Because he's he he wasn't he, he he I don't even think he had a he didn't have a double pedal anyway. I mean, you can double off of one foot, but that's that's another skill set altogether for a drummer. You just do it faster, is what I've been told. So <laughs> he would. That's 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 one thing that like I will always be like, oh, just, just could I, if I if only I'd got that double kick in that song. I don't even know what song I'm thinking about now, but like I I do remember the conversations in the practice room of like, so Gary, what if we just went into like a driving sort of double? No, no, I'm not happening. Fuck. All right, fine, thanks, man. The um, but but like as you talk about that though, it. So again, through the limits, who were going for like about ten years, again, you know, as a band, which is pretty decent uh, sort of innings, really, for for a sort yeah. of high school band. When you think about the different people that we had in there. We could never hold on to a drummer, and then when Tom Muir left, because uh, he was a bit like Cyprus to become like Indiana Jones archaeologist guy or something Genuinely. like that. Genuinely, it's like true story. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, you know, but when he left, then obviously we got like a. Um, well, I mean, you came in at, at certain points. I know, like Dave Williamson again came in to help when we went uh, sort of touring down in England and stuff like that. And, that. and that was like that was like really cool. But each new person would bring something new. So when like yeah. Logie Owen Innes when he came in to drum for us, he just he took us up to this whole new heavier. We we weren't singing about getting your heart broke anymore. We were singing about breaking people's hearts. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, man. Totally. And, and and that was cool. Um, and then you know when when Logie sort of sort of moved on, you know then we had like Gary coming in and, and stuff like that as well. So and then but he uh, he tightened everything up, and then when yeah. you came on, everything came super tight because you had probably for the first time. I don't mean this with any disrespect because I'm not a great musician by any stretch of the matter, but you had a very competent drummer and a very competent bass player, and that is what you need to hold tunes and, and songs together. You hear that, Lav? You need a competent bass player. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you keep you keep justifying your existence, bassist. <laughs> so anyway, I know we're sort of um, we're sort of off on a tangent there, but it's um you know it's all it's all good stuff. It's all musical. It's all musical. It's all good. Have Have you ever seen Idlewild, Walsh? Yeah, I've seen Idlewild. Like the first time I saw Idlewild was um I don't know a year, let's say early two thousands anyway, and it was at Falkirk Town Hall, I think. Wow, okay, yeah. And since then, I've yeah, I think I've probably seen them. I reckon probably seven or eight times now in all different different places. So I saw them at Tina Park a few times, uh, RIP. <laughs> and yeah, I just saw like random, like I think you mentioned like the the O two or ABC whatever in Glasgow. I'm pretty sure I saw them there. Um, yeah. Saw them in Edinburgh at the Playhouse, I think. Playhouse, I'm pretty sure. Uh, always drinking heavily at these things so it's quite hard to quite hard to remember um but yeah so i've seen a few times and then and so and i've seen some very different performances as well so um there's some of them at the barrowlands actually which is probably the, the the coolest one where they done like an acoustic set first nice and then they took like a 20 minute break or whatever and came back and done like a full electric thing and it was just like you know I mean, they just like butterge up really nicely with this acoustic stuff and all these yeah. different, you know, musical and song arrangements that you hadn't heard them do in that way before. I certainly hadn't at the time. And then, yeah, as I say, kind of took a break and then came back on with the with the electrics. And then it was just like, oh man, this is this is why I came. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. that was nice at the start, but this is why I came. 
And I just love that feeling of been so long, but I've just been right in the bloody middle of a crowd and just soaking, absolutely soaking wet. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. sweat and other people and you know what I mean, it's a, a pretty disgusting setup being at a gig really in it when you're right in the middle of it all. But but that that's kind of that's kind of a bit, and you're walking away at the end of it, and just steam coming off of people and sacrificing t-shirts. Yeah, uh, it's just it's just. I think that's probably where COVID was invented. Actually, like I'm not going to say an idle gig, but something a lot heavier. What are you heavy metal bands? <laughs> I mean, literally the last gig that me and Keith went to before COVID was Slipknot, yeah. and I'm pretty sure I had to sacrifice my t-shirt that night at the end of it. It was absolutely drenched. And luckily, luckily, I was able to buy a Behemoth T-shirt on the way out. So for for forty quid, <laughs> probably too much. <laughs> so we're so like on on the subject of of them playing live. Like I think it's I, I don't know. Like I almost feel I, I feel this connection to Idle World that doesn't exist because they are a band and their build is from Edinburgh. But I know they're from around that area. I know they've. I don't. I don't know specifically where the members are from. I was told previously that they're from Livingston, where I'm originally from, or they've played in Livingston, or they've sort of played and/or practiced in Livingston. There, there was apparently a Livingston connection. Maybe a rumor. I don't know. But the uh... only rumor that I know is that their first EP was recorded in Rosyth, and it was recorded at Sound Station which is like an, an old disused church it was disused. And then it got turned into a recording like studio. And I, I don't know if you want to call it a claim to fame or, or a, a one degree of, of separation, but my band's first ever EP was recorded in some station as well. But that was, that was what I don't, I've not heard the Livingston story either. Well, this is where it's potentially completely unfounded. I don't know any of the members personally. I don't know where the band originates from, but we, if we take it from Edinburgh, well, we all love you. Literally live in Edinburgh. I've lived in Edinburgh. You know, like there's there's that there's 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 that literal geographic closeness to the band, and sort of you're saying that they they played sort of Falkirk Town Hall and stuff like that. Like it's over the years the band have had up and down success where they I was just reading on the Wikipedia earlier Pearl Jam requested Idlewild to support them so you've got bands like Pearl Jam asking Idlewild to come on tour with them and then well you've seen them at Falkirk Town Hall so I just think it's like incredible that the band have like we'll, we'll, we'll play those smaller intimate more local venues that we will know personally and then they'll go off and do arena tours with, with Pearl Jam yeah, I, I think it, it. I can't remember where I either read this or heard it, you know, on the TV or whatever. But if you go back to that sort of like mid nineties to late nineties period, um, where you had bands like Idlewild, Travis, or so, like Scottish bands, Biffy were probably yeah, starting to come onto yeah. the scene at that point. There was this like they were part of this like almost like this sort of like little little niche group of bands that were like emerging at the time. And actually, from a purely commercial perspective... I think, from what I was reading, the remote part was sort of their most commercially successful album. A lot of the singles went into top ten, and the album itself, UK top three... or Sorry, UK number three album charts, number two in the Scottish charts. and uh, Love, love, and, love and, the Scottish chart, topper. Love the Scottish chart. And 
and yeah, they um they they did pretty well off of this. And you're right, sort of before and after this. I don't want to say this was their peak. It's an amazing album, but which we should probably talk about at some point. But it's uh, commercially, it, it was um it, it was maybe maybe their 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 highest point, and the guys of the band has sort of processed thereafter. I just, I just think that, like anything, like you just, you never really know how successful something or someone's going to be at a particular time. Only time will will tell you whether they've been successful or not. Um, and I, as I say, I just think that you know that, that kind of sound that they, that they had at that time, it, it wasn't new, but it was, it was, it was slightly different. And I almost wonder because of the the sort of Scottish twang and, and that that Roddy has in his voice, I almost wonder if that if that maybe hindered their commercial appeal. I don't know. I, I really don't know. But there's some there's something in there, there's some reason why they never, you know, sort of boosted onto that next level of, you know, stadium tours and things like that, like like other bands did um, around that time. So I, I just wonder why and why they never sort of seemed to capture a, a larger audience. I don't know. I have to be honest, this is the only Idlewild album that I've ever given any sort of proper time to. I couldn't like I knew the, I've listened, I went and listened to the Captain EP when I got tickets to this this special show that they were doing. But outside of that, the remote part is the only Idlewild album that I've ever listened to from start to finish. In fact, I couldn't name an Idlewild song that isn't on the remote part. You, you need to go listen to Hundred Broken Window. Yeah, I was just just about to say that it's it's the it's a perfect introduction. And, and actually, see if you did just if you've ever got I don't know a couple hours and you just went. The Hundred Broken Windows remote part. Uh, what's the one after that? Um, one of the promises that it, you'll just hear this mental change and just like it's like album by album. There's no like there's no subtle change in of 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 of, of what they're doing. Mm. It's just like there it could be three different bands playing. Wow! Like that, that's how crazy the, the the difference in the albums are. Rating and promises or rating promises. Sorry, warnings promises has one of my favorite Idlewild songs. I don't, it's it's very difficult for me to pinpoint my favorite one, but El Capitan oh, it's on, awesome. on Warnings and Promises is just a beautiful song. Like I I don't even know how to describe it any other way. It's just it's it's forget what genre I'm trying to th- call it under. It's just a wonderful song from the very beginning. I, th- I think it's a piano is that keys like just that little twinkle at the beginning and it, the way it goes and the whole story about it is just phenomenal. So it's like it's like an old piano and it's like yeah. it's almost like it's it's almost like almost like off tune as well a little bit if you and then you can really hear every key being pressed. Yeah, and they're recording it in a big open space and and the the view we've got all that reverberation coming out through it and stuff like that. It's it, it's amazing. So if the, the remote part is a great album, but if that's the only Idlewild, if you enjoy it, if you enjoy the remote part, if you actually like Idlewild for that album, definitely check out the other stuff. I like that it's got a almost pop punk sort of undertone to it. It's not not in the drums, but but certainly in the in the pacing. I think some of the songs are quite some of the songs are quite fast and up really really upbeat. I I do have a small issue with the pacing of the album as I think it is a bit of a slow burn in in some instances and I think mm-hmm. the ordering of the songs could could be improved uh, I, I do 
like and I didn't expect to hear as much of the like I say the, the more rocky stuff as I, I always and I always think of Idlewild as like do you remember the band Top Loader? And all the like the choral and those type of bands, that that sort of mm-hmm. that early two thousands indie Brit wave, whatever you want to call it. I always sort of lump them in with that and I genuinely forget that they really started as like a, a grungy garage band before all of it. I see I'm just just off the top of what you said there, top loader the choral the sort of the two thousands even you could even include Travis in that a little bit. Totally, maybe yeah. Travis more were they late nineties? I wouldn't put Idlewild in that. If if anything, it's maybe a credit to the band that they didn't similar to what we were saying a couple of weeks ago about uh, every time I die, I think the band have just always done what the band wanted to do. Mm, I would the, disagree with that on the basis of Bob Fairfowl's leaving. So he left after the remote part because from what I've from what I understand is he didn't like the direction the band was going in. He wanted it to be more of a indie punk rock band and they wanted to mm-hmm. become more anthemic, which is what the remote part really is. It's just full of anthems. Yeah, but did they did they make that decision to be less of a punk band because they wanted to explore more melodic and and more creative writing? Or did they want to do that because they thought that would sell more albums and make them more money? I think it's the the first one. <laughs> that, that that the band sort of went along that more creative route as opposed to I mean one of my favourite songs on this album is in in remote part Scottish fiction. And they've got and they've got Edwin Morgan on that song, who I'm not gonna pretend I know who Edwin Morgan is. I know f- next to nothing about poetry but this guy is apparently not apparently was a notice, notable and highly respected scottish poet to the point where the guy was made poet laureate he was the first poet laureate of glasgow and then became the national poet for scotland in wow. 2004 until his death in 2010 so a highly creative respected per- respected person you don't just put someone like that on an album because you want to sell... In fact, you don't put someone like that on an album to sell more pop songs. Mm-hmm. You put someone like that on an album because you are creating that song with with that purpose of, yeah. of, of an art form. Um, I think I did read in, in some article that it was it was definitely uh, the guitarist, Rod Jones, who was, who was driving sort of the changes and he was becoming a better guitarist as you know, as you do, but he was after writing and recording several albums with Idlewild, his ability improved and his songwriting ability was improving. So he was becoming more experimental in that side. And and it just, and like I said, with, with Bob, it just caused a bit of a schism because he didn't quite like that direction and he didn't leave with the the greatest um, leaving the greatest thing, but the fact that they've, they've obviously made up since, but at the time, uh, the the words that I read were that he left in a hail of uh, misdirected fists with Roddy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've I've I think there was friction there because I've I've also read that his, his his drinking was becoming a bit of a problem and he was becoming isolated from the band. 
obviously if he's not happy with the way the band are going for his personal style or his personal preference, then you are going to grow apart and, 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 and that distance will, will become obvious. So, I don't know, we're talking about... I think the band have created the albums they wanted to create. If that wasn't what Rob wanted to create and he rightfully... Sorry, Bob. If that wasn't what Bob wanted to create and then he rightfully left, then, then fair enough. That, that, that's what happens. I think what you what, what it's easy to forget as well, though, when you start to analyse all this stuff, is that these guys are living in each other's pockets and in and out of hotel rooms and tour buses and all this kind of stuff. And when you add in the sort of rock and roll lifestyle of, you know, certainly alcohol, if not more, then, you know, people are going to have fallouts and it's going to become a little bit too much for certain people. And who knows what that sort of what impact that has on then the sort of creative writing process and things like that as well. But I think another thing to, to always to always think about from a, a music perspective though is how many times can you recreate the same album? Like you've you've got to change, you've got yeah. to adapt. Otherwise, people are not going to pay ten pound or whatever it is you pay for an album these days for something that they really already have. If that makes sense. So like, love them or love them. No Gallagher makes this point with the high flying birds all the time. He's like. I've got so many fans from my Oasis days who are like, what the hell are you doing with the High Flying Birds? It's like so different. It's like, but I'm not Oasis. This is not Oasis. This is yeah. me, a song, you know, writing songs for this, for this band who are not Oasis and they're very, very different. If I, I don't expect you to, to love this, but if you do, great. If not, fuck off. I mean, so it's, it's, it's easy to say when you've got a couple hundred million in the bank, I'm sure, but, but it's, my, my kind of whole point here is that I get that bands have got to change album to album, but it's just I think it's just about how that change happens and how do they start to signal a bit of a change, um, whether that's how they communicate it uh, verbally or or actually what it is that they do within their, their sort of music and lead up to the to the release of their new stuff. Yeah, yeah. I I mean I referenced every time I die there, every time I die are not a band you're probably going to be too familiar with, Walsh, but they are a band that stuck they they changed album to album but they're still very much a hardcore punk band or you know like a, like like a hardcore band whereas that's not what we've said about Idlewild Idlewild started as a bit of a uh or started as a small punk band and have grown into this sort of alt rock almost post something post rock band and that's I just mean when I say it when I was trying to make the comparison there like what we'd said about Idol uh, sorry what we said about Every Time I Die was they've not been influenced by by other people they've, they've, they've made the albums they wanted to make and that that made Every Time I Die I, th- I kind of think that's almost similar to Incubus as well that's that's what Idol loves them they've not been too influenced by outside people and they've made the albums they wanted to make it has obviously resulted in a massive change from a, a little punk band to these these post. I don't know. I'm coming up with this. I'm coming up with these genres here. These these, these post rock guys. <laughs> but, but I think but maybe that's the answer to the to the point I was making earlier, which is maybe that's why they didn't go into gain this worldwide commercial su- success that other bands have from Scotland. Yeah, no, totally. Because maybe they maybe they were too stubborn um, and and sort of wanting to create what they wanted. Sometimes you know these big Sony's and you know record companies they've got they've got they know how to make money and i suppose if you don't play ball then you might just find that you don't you don't kind of quite cut it i don't know but back to the point is i think they're an awesome band i love 
the songs, I love the, the tone, I love the style that they kind of come out with. That album, as I said, the remote part was kind of not life changing or anything like that, but it was, but it was certainly an introduction to what then shaped my musical journey for the next kind of few years. And I think that in itself, you know, is is like a huge, a huge sort of pick for for those guys as far as I'm concerned. Do you know what I mean, that's how that's how important it was from from totally. my perspective. So we've talked a little bit about sort of where, where we all sort of found the album and where we all sort of found the band and, 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 and where we are there. But the actual album itself, we've talked about American English, I've mentioned in remote part. What's what are people's sort of highlights of the of tracks actually on this album? Because I don't think there's there's a lot of songs here. Or sorry, a lot 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 of type of songs. But I don't think I would necessarily skip anything. I, th- I think this is an end-to-end album for me. I would agree that it's end-to-end. I could comfortably listen to the whole album, mm-hmm. but I would say there are some standout moments. Yeah. Specifically, I would say a modern way of letting go is is probably, you know, I know it's probably their most pop, one of their most popular songs. But I, there's a reason because it's it's a very very good song. But I marked two um, with favorites on Spotify. It's going to be what I'm going to be start doing from now on before we do an album because I know this question comes up. I am what I am not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoy that one. And out of routine, those are the two that that stood out to me to to put little favorite markers on them in uh, in Spotify. And and I, again, it goes back to what I was saying about they, they have like I like the pacing of them. They really like fast and energetic songs I think get a bit of a bop going enjoy them yeah I think for me so a modern way let it go and def- definitely a, a good tune do you know what I, I used to really love You Held the World in Your Arms which is the opener and then over time it is, is that, is, so it's actually become probably one of my least favourite songs I don't know why huh? um, you know sometimes you get something stuck in your head this is mm-hmm. a, some like I'll, I'll probably go to bed tonight and not be able to get that song in my head. That's probably why I hate it because it's, it's so very catchy. catchy there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's exactly. Yeah. I know what my problem with that song is, and I, I, I briefly mentioned it in one of our messages, Keith. It's the orchestration is just a bit too much. Like it's, it almost feels a bit synthetic. Yeah, it 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 feels a bit fake. It doesn't feel like a real orchestra is playing it. It feels like it's been added on as an afterthought. Like it, it was a song, they had this song and then a producer has gone, oh, we can stick some strings in the background. And yeah, it makes it makes the song, but I also feel like you say, it's that, that synthetic. It doesn't sit perfectly well. And that's that's the reason I, I don't skip it, but it's it makes me go like, mm, I could not have that. Wow, fuck you, Sally Herbert, who did the string arrangement on track one. <laughs> well, does it does it in the, in the research or does it tell you that it, you know she might have done the arrangement, but is it is it live strings or is it something from Buddy Ableton or whatever you call it? Do you know I mean like what 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 is it? To be honest, it, it doesn't say. She Sally Herbert is is down as as doing the strings or string arrangement for or yeah string arrangement for you held the world in in your arms. I want to be clear. I want to clear. I want to clear this up before you before you get that I'm attacking poor Sally here. I. My issue is not the strings, it's the production of the strings. It's the okay. way it's the way they've been added on. The fact that they are there is is completely acceptable and they are very much serviceable for what they are. It's just the 
the the way that they sit on top of the music rather than sit behind it. I think I read it was their first time having strings on one of their songs. That is the first Idol Oil song to feature strings. So it was a, it was sort of a first time for the band as well to be working with with someone with with that level of of musicianship. Yeah, it's that classic that's, like too much of a good thing. Like you've you've just yeah. discovered it, so you, you just go a bit wild with it, and then maybe. and maybe. then later songs, absolutely later songs, it it's not there, and I feel like they've got more uniqueness about them. Mm-hmm. It's a good observation, I think, actually, because you would almost expect there to be. So that's your opening. That's your hey guys, this is our new album song, right? And yeah. then it was in the charts again. It was one of the. It was like a top chart, or not maybe not a number one, but it was up there. And it was one of those songs that was featured at the time on like adverts and stuff like that as well. You know how you just get songs like that over time. And that, that was like kind of one of them. But then you don't really hear strings, unless I'm mistaken, or, or certainly not memorable strings anywhere else in the album. Am, am I, is that right? No, definitely not. Definitely not to the extent of You Held the World in Your Arms. Like de- def- definitely not at, at that volume. But yeah, no, that, that, that that's all. That's all. Any, any other... So American American English for me is just yeah it was that it was that kind of song that when I heard it for the first time I totally fell in love with it lyrically uh, the arrangement of the song the way that it kind of builds up like I I can still sometimes listen to that song and well up yeah yeah it's beautiful, it's beautiful. especially when I'm hungover <laughs> like it's just, if I hear I, that song when I'm hungover I'm just gonna like start crying I have I totally have a memory of friends of mine at school who were way more into idol world than, than i certainly was at the time and i'm pretty sure this was the sort of i'm, I'm trying i'm trying to have a, a think of something that is is similar but you know this is the album that like turned the hardcore fans off a little bit like you were sort of saying lab if you can generate more fans with every album then, then you're on a winner but if you're obviously losing them with every change this was like this was maybe seen as the it was obviously the most commercially successful but their most commercially sounding album potentially and I think American English was one of those songs where they were like you know this isn't Rosability this isn't this isn't the the sort of the the, the more arty stuff from before this is a pop song mm. but I don't give a shit about any of that and I also love American English yeah and again I think almost every I'm going to put my air commas up here and say like pop band Right or or bands that are popular, if you, if that's better better sort of way to explain this, need to have those types of songs in their albums because they are the ones that the general population will 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 go to because not everyone's looking for this like complex, you know, drop D double kicking, <laughs> uh, you know, all the things Keith enjoys. Crazy, yeah, but but that I mean that's maybe why I don't I don't particularly love that sort of music is because I never really understood it, you know, to be completely honest. But it's because it's not what I'm looking for in a song. It's not sure, what hooks me. Sure. Do you know what I mean? So, but I, I think songs like American English in an album like this are exactly what you would expect because you need to have that sort of more emotional kind of song that just kind of, yeah, it's, it's that kind of love love song, isn't it, really? That's kind of I, what it is. I have seen Idlewild twice. The first time I ever saw Idlewild was Tea in the Park. I don't know why I, I didn't remember that last time you said. We would have been there. I'm sure. We would have been there at the same time. I'm almost certain. Like. It was like sort of mid-afternoon main stage. Don't tell me if it was Saturday or Sunday. But yeah, that was that, that was the first time I saw them and they played American English and I just I just loved it.
Nah, good times, man. I think there's so many songs in this album that I love. So You Held the World in Your Arms, I still really like. A Modern Way of Letting Go is just a straight-up, out-and-out banger. Like, and I think they know that. It's just right in your face, like, I love that. And I think that's intentional. I, th- I think they've, they've, you know, they've, they've came out with that sort of strong You Held the World in Your Arms with the, the, with the, the string arrangement on it, and then they're punching through with a modern way of letting go and then they totally calm things down with uh, American English in, in a really beautiful way but I also love I Am What I Am Not and Live in a Hiding Place I think Live in a Hiding Place is, is, is beautiful and every time I hear in the remote part of Scottish fiction like just a, an abundance of unnecessary national pride swells within <laughs> me and I'm just like I fucking love Scotland <laughs> <laughs> No, but yeah, yeah, I think you're. But it's true though, because when you, I mean, again, that song starts off like it, it's so different to the end of the song. If that makes sense, yeah, Do you know what yeah, I mean? like, yeah. It's, like it just this song takes you on like a journey, like a, you know, I don't know, like it just takes you on this wee journey sort of thing. And then when Edwin Morgan comes in with the, you're shooting the castles, you're shooting the mist, like, yeah, like, so got... beyond the great beyond black death or whatever it is he says, you're just like, whoa, man, totally love that. I'm not. I'm not going to pretend to, to. I've said it before. I don't know anything about poetry. I don't know anything about Edwin Morgan. But I've got the poem here, and I don't know what it means. But for some reason, it evokes something in me. So, if you don't mind, I'm going to recite Edwin Morgan's poem from the song. Is that okay? Go for it. Shall we? Shall we do this? Right. It isn't in the mirror. It isn't on the page. It's a red-hearted vibration. Pushing through the walls of dark imagination, finding no equation. There's a red road rage, but it's not road rage. It's asylum seekers engulfed by a grudge. Scottish friction, Scottish fiction. It isn't in the castle, it isn't in the mist. It's a calling of the water. It's a calling of the waters as they break to show the new black death with reactors aglow. In your security can keep... You in purity, you will not shake us off above or below Scottish friction. Scottish fiction butchered it, but you know it's stuff like it isn't in the castle, it isn't in the mist. It's in the calling of the waters as they break to show. Fuck yeah, I don't know what that means, but yeah, <laughs> like it's you don't just, know what it is, but you I, like it. Yeah, so it's, it's it's never made me go out and actually read more poetry. But, but you've got this, you've got this, but when you overlay that with a you know, with, the, with that part of the song, the da na 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 that's it. Repeated yeah. like 40 times or something. And that's it's just like, it's hair-raising stuff for me. Like Same, um, same. What? So yeah, that's, that's sort of, that's sort of where I stand on the album. Like there is, there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff there. And, and I just really, it hits me, hits me deep. I kind of, I kind of agree. Well, Lav, one of the things that you said earlier, though, there was like, there's, there's something weird or, or off about the the song arrangements. Uh, not the arrangements, sorry, the is in the, the the order in which they come in the album. And I sometimes think, sometimes like if you like you held the world in your arms, modern way, let it go, are like two like big powerful songs, and then you've got like American English, which kind of like just takes you right right back to to almost nothing. 
and then I never wanted doesn't really take you back up that level that you think you need to get to. Yeah. Keeps you down, keeps you level. Keeps you kind of down a wee bit. Um, and then I am what I am not is like quite, I can, you know, quite sort of jaggy and, and stuff it's, like that. As well. It's the one that I, it comes on and I'm like, oh, that there, we're back in it. We're back in the game. And you look at, and you know, I look at my phone and say, oh, it's that song. There we go. I'm, I'm, I like that. And maybe I like it more in the context of its current position because like you say, you've listened to, two or three songs that are quite subdued and then it, it's the one that brings you back up and yeah i do think there's it, it's a common thing that it, it's very personal to each per each individual but having an album in the right order is is really going to be important to keep someone listening mm-hmm. and the thing is though if i mean these guys were getting famous for the singles they had the singles mm-hmm. that were playing on the music channels and those those are the ones that are going to get fans in. So really, as long as you spread the singles out and they released the first, was which ones got released off this again? Was it just the, the first three that yeah, got released? Yeah, you held the world in your arms, the modern way of letting go, American English and uh, live in a hiding place were all released. Yeah, so that's, that sounds a bit right. So the first three songs on the album all got releases as as singles. I was surprised by that too. So I think going back to this album, I maybe didn't really retain in the memory the, the album order. So to come back in and have Modern Way of Letting Go, You Have the World in Your Arms and American English done in the first three songs, I was like, oh, okay, cool. That's um, That was... It's absolutely not the peak of the album is what I mean, but it, I suppose it is in familiar, familiarity. can't mm-hmm. pronounce that right now. You know, I am way more familiar with those songs because they were released as singles and you, you know, the, the video for You Held the World in Your Arms, I remember it being like a sort of time lapse of like this London bus driver and stuff like that. Like, it, I'm more familiar with that song than say, uh, Out of Routine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm interested to see who the, um, the producer was, Dave Oringa, and he was... He's produced basically all the Manic Street Preachers stuff. Yeah, I had a look at him. You write nearly every Manic Street, or just about every Manic Street Preachers album. Top loader, Kylie Minogue. Done quite a lot of work there. Did all, like the the Manix albums. Uh, yep, Gold Against the Soul. Yeah, he's, he's done them all. I'm pretty sure. Um, you said something to me yesterday, Lav, and it nearly made me get in my car and come up to your house and fight you. Okay, this is it's 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 not a criticism, but it's going to sound like one because I fucking hate Morrissey. But Roddy Womble's vocals sometimes kind of go a little bit Morrissey. Give us an example. What was, what what song would you? Um, there must have been a, a moment where you thought, "Hold on, what what song would you say?" I think it's in American English, and I never wanted. I think it's those two sort of moments they've just got like a little like, warble in his voice that's just that he just hits a similar cadence um but i also said in in a in, in another conversation i had with keith is that i was absolutely positive that out of routine had simon neil neil's vocals from biffy clyro on because it's just like because because roddy Womble's really like fucking panning it out and it just sounded like he's got like really harsh like a bit just a different sound than what i'd heard in the rest of the album. And I had to do the research and definitely not, not a chance. If he is, it's uncredited, whatnot, but it just has that sort of similar sound. And, and, you know, remote part came out the same year that Biffy was sort of releasing and recording 
uh, Black and Sky, their first their, their debut album. But I mean, the two, but the two bands are just so, at that stage anyway, just so different. But it wasn't until Biffy's like fifth album, Only Revolutions, which sounds like an Idlewild album. That was one. With, it, yeah, that was the one with Bubbles and uh, Many of Honor. It wasn't Many of Honor. That was was that what it was called? It was Many of Horror. Many of Horror. That was it. Yeah. yeah. I know my X Factor. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that, that that was a shame, wasn't it? That was a that was a what? bit of a sellout, wasn't it? What that they covered that song? Yeah. Yeah, that that whole show's a sellout. <laughs> no, but you know, it's 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 hard because I, I I mean. I'm not going to come to Lab South and punch him or anything like that, even though I have a, a, a four fights under my belt, of course, Keith, don't I, with the boxing. Oh, my God. That's another string to your bow I can add at the end. <laughs> but, but I, I mean, I, so I, I really like Biffy. Like, um, I would say that right now, I think I think um, Biffy might, might just be my favourite band uh, right, right, right now, today. And what I love about, about them... Which Lav doesn't love about them by what by the same what you're saying is I really like how they're they're, they're quite the albums are all the songs are all very quite quite similar and samey and they all have I don't know it's it's almost like comfort food I think actually yeah it, I can get that it's 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 eating a it's it's eating a ham and cheese sandwich it's eating you know a, a ready salted crisps you know what you're gonna get no surprises. But that's what you wanted. You wanted familiarity. You wanted that comfort blanket, and exactly, and that's fair enough. But when you'd listen, if, because I'd been listening to Biffy since two thousand and three, two thousand two, I saw them first. I was like, nah, these guys have just totally given up. <laughs> it's it's because they used to be so creative and, and different and weird, and like Keith Orman mentioned, almost like. Tinging on math call, yeah, with the time signatures. You weren't, you weren't getting you, 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 you there, there weren't Scottish bands coming out that you know reminded you of Dillinger. Do, do you know what I mean? Like they, they were, they were pushing something at the time. But I'm sort of of the same mind of as you have that it's it's it died a long time ago. There, Biffy Clyro for you are my muse. We talked about Muse before when we did Origin Symmetry. I loved the first three albums, four albums, and Muse today are a band I do not recognise or enjoy. Do you not like the new song? No. I, I enjoy it. I think it's quite enjoyable, and I'm looking forward <laughs> to the new album. Surprisingly so, because I don't really... Again, probably similar with, with Muse, I probably only liked Origin of Symmetry and Absolution. And then I gave up on them. But, see, but see, see that the, 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 and bear with me as I kind of go through this, right? But there's like a bit of a common theme. If you just, if, let's compare Biffy and Muse for a second, right? It becomes more about the show for yeah. these guys. Yeah, yeah. So, they they have written some of the the most popular and, and you know well known songs of the last ten fifteen years. Both these bands they've featured in feature length movies and all that sort of crazy stuff as well. They've made loads and loads of money. Um, everyone knows who they are, right? Mm-hmm. These guys are so creative in by general nature that simply putting together an album 
doesn't tick the boxes for their motivations anymore. So then it becomes, right, how can we go and do like stadium tours and py- pyrotechnics or whatever you call them and all this crazy shit going on. The, the Matt Bellamy, whatever his name is, the music guy, the grand pianos and showcasing his, all the, I mean, that, that's a show. It's like people are paying for that and also for this sort of noise, which is, what well, I think is pretty decent. Um for both his bands, but I I get it if you're a if you're like a like a, like a fan of their their origins, if you compare where they started to where they are now, it's pretty easy to be like, oh, I don't recognise those guys anymore and what they're doing. But I, but I think as someone who's written music for a long period of my life, I totally I can totally understand why bands do that. So I don't I don't give bands a hard time for doing that because I know that they need to do something if that makes sense. Yeah, hey, I agree. No one's ever put it like that before to me, Walsh, and at least so distinctly. And I'm a little bit pissed off. No, I 100% get what you're saying. These are clearly incredibly talented, creative people that need those creative outlets. And and like we were saying before, you you would just get bored even listening to the same album, album two, three, four, just you know copy and paste or whatever. So you do go out and try new things. But personally, for me, in the example of Muse, like Muse had like the big sweeping pianos from like day one. Like he's an incredibly talented uh, pianist and musician in that respect. But then he sort of moved into like just Muse's songs got more simple. They got more basic. They got like oh, let's just have like a synth line here, and it became more about the sh- for me. It became more about the show than it did the the actual music. In my head, I would understand that Bellamy is writing music that he wants to create and like challenges him and pushes him in different ways and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't know how the music became more basic, and that became more challenging for him. It's funny. I do probably looked at his bank balance, going, "Do you know what? I just got paid X million for what's that thing? My missus watches Twilight. It's the worst song ever in the world. <laughs> Every time I hear it." I hate it. Is that probably just, that, you know? It's like, but but that's maybe the motivation is like, oh, I'm going to create this like super duper easy to remember commercial tune, make loads of money. Oh, I quite like doing that. Maybe make a whole album of doing it now. But then he, but then he he used a term we don't like. He did, and it's a term we don't like to say on on AOGB. But then he technically sold out there, didn't he? If he if he was just like, actually, I can just make way more money firing out these crappy little pop songs. Then that's that's fair enough. That's his prerogative, but that's why I don't listen to him anymore. But on Twilight, that's funny. I was watching a Mister Sunday Movies uh, video recently, and apparently every I think that was Eclipse. I just watched the Eclipse video for Mister Sunday Movies, and every song on that soundtrack was written for that album. So Muse were approached. They were like, "Do you want to write a song for Twilight Eclipse?" And they said yes. Exactly, and that's my, yeah, and that's it. It's like because it would have been, uh, yeah, go on then. How much are we getting paid? Oh yeah, buddy, right. Bye. Yep. Absolutely, absolutely valid. Absolutely valid. So Matt Bellamy, you've got a bit of a kick in here, so you need to answer for for himself. I think so. We can yeah. reach out. Can reach out as part of the podcast to Matt and say, "Go on, go on big man. What's the what's the answer? Come down from your gold synth tower." Yeah, I, and explain <laughs> yourself to fans that don't care about you anymore. It will be the nice Sidonia will be in the back. Well, I'll tell you what, Matt Bellamy isn't, and Muse are not. They're not Idlewild, and it's not the remote part. So, 
Yeah, you're just your comment about Morrissey. I don't know. It almost I had to sort of check myself a little bit because it it I I've even said it earlier in the podcast. The lyrics are almost a little bit spoken word. There is a poetry to them. I know we've talked about the 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 literal poetry in the songs and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So maybe I was just a bit offended because Morrissey's a dick. Yes, but, he is, and there's no escaping that. And it's not a it is not a slight on the band on Morrissey's attitude or behaviour, it's just the sound of his voice. But allow me allow me to just put a little warning out to, to you here. When I listen to any of these tunes and I start to hear Morrissey, I'm going to be absolutely raging because this is an album that I love. And if I, if I do hear what you're talking about and this ruins it for me after all these years, I'm going to be a little bit pissed. But, but I mean, I can't closely. stand Morrissey as a person and I don't really care for the Smiths. I hate the Smiths. There's so like much. one song I can oh, no, I, I can just, stand. Oh. Johnny Johnny Marr is a good guitarist. There's there's no escaping that. Um, I just think that there's a there's a line that needs to be drawn with with Morrison because he's a he's a dreadful human as far as I care. Fair. I think we've we've deviated heavily from a little wild. But I think we've had a good. I think we've had a good chat. Does anyone anyone else have anything they want to put out about the remote part about Idlewild? I, I, I would. I would just say that uh, you know, when you asked me to to kind of pick an album, the, the, the reason why I kind of gave this album and we've spoke about it, the reason why I picked this over, say, like a hundred broken windows, was just because it was more kind of commercially based. And and I think if you looked at um, if you had sort of stats on sales, I'm sure this is probably their bestseller or what have you. Yeah. But I, I would I would certainly say that if, you know, more for like Lav or any of the kind of listeners that have maybe not heard them that much, I would say, listen to the remote part. If you like that, go back and listen to 100 Broken Windows and I guarantee you, you will probably like that album better. In fact, Lav, I will say definitely, you will definitely like that album better. Okay, I'll give it a listen. Thank you. Definitely go from that though and, and listen to their later stuff because I genuinely respect Idlewild think they're a great band I'm not head over heels about everything they do but I will generally enjoy everything they do and and yeah there's it's it's something different to to the music that we've listened to so far on, on the pod you know they are they are definitely a wild card but I would I would say they're worth it but I'm also biased because Maybe they played in my hometown. I don't know, or maybe some of them are from my hometown. I don't know. I don't think that. I think I think Roddy's from Irvine, and one of them's from Aberdeen, and one was born in South Africa. So, you know, they're they're, they're... why are you shit? Why are you shitting on my dreams, man? Why why, why are you shitting on my dreams? <laughs> You've got Lewis Capaldi. He's from Livy, kind of. He's from nah, he's from no, Bath- he's not. He's, from he's Bath- not from Livy. <laughs> nah, cool, great. Okay, so. What, where where does where does that leave us? What do we what do we want to do next week? Uh, well, I think we should do what I said we were going to do last week. All right, and and get some no effects on the go. It's a very short album. I think it's only like twenty seven minutes or so. It's a proper proper punk rock album, fourteen songs. <laughs> it's in over twenty twenty eight minutes. Not- I'm not going to lie, when I realised we were going to do Idlewild instead of No Effects, I was very happy, so I thought, yeah. Oh, well. Now, now I'm going to have to own up to that, aren't I? It's a fun album, and it's got one of my favourite No Effects songs on as well, uh, which I think you might enjoy if you'll like the lyrics for. I'll let you guess. I'm not going to say it is. I'll let you guess what song it is uh, the right. next time we oh, A little we bit chat. of sizzle. A little yeah. bit of sizzle. Why not? That's cool, man. 
Well, Walsh, thanks very much for coming on tonight to talk about the the remote part. We've 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 touched on a few things throughout the episode. You're a, a musician, an author, a boxer. Uh, <laughs> Well, loosely <laughs> loosely lots of other th- we're loosely podcasters it's fine mate. so you know tell tell listeners if, if they're interested in, in in what you've got where where can we find you what what is this authoring that you're doing etc yeah so during lockdown you know back in lockdown march april 2020 kind of born my first children's storybook, um, which was a, with a collaboration through, uh, with Graham Young as the illustrator. Uh, Graham's a, a super duper talented artist in his own right. And he kind of joined me on this journey of creating uh, my first ever kids book. And it was never really designed to be anything other than just like a little passion project, just something that I could mm-hmm. kind of show my kids when they were older or what have you. But when I started to kind of verbalise what I was doing um, to people, it kind of gained a bit of traction and, and we quickly created a, a business out of it which is crazily kind of grown into something which I don't think either of us really anticipated so we, we've kind of written and I've written four four books now um, with Graham illustrating them and last year we won um, Book Retailer of the Year through Prestige Awards and I was like Amazing. where the hell did that come from? But that was really good and it gave us lots of good exposure. Um, and it was nice to get a bit of, a bit of recognition for, I suppose, a, a kind of year well done. But yeah, so we're, we continue to to sort of push down that that sort of the creative route. And as I kind of mentioned earlier, I'm, you know, I'm not a musician or I wouldn't class myself as a musician, but I, I do like to create music. I think that probably makes you a musician. On some level. But but I, I I try to bring music into into what I do. So uh, with the, with a storybook, so um, all all the books that we've got, I've got some sort of song or or whatever. And they're all and I mean these are not these are not uh, you know anthems or anything like that. But they're catchy songs. So like we've got Fash Chaps and Bands, uh, which is like Do you like Fash? Do you like Chaps? Do you like Bands? Fash Chaps and Bands. And that's, <laughs> and, that, and that's how I sing it, right? Um, <clears throat> Um, and we've got like Buddy's Possum Holiday. And we've got the McScarfs, which is like a book written in Scots and, and stuff. So it, music is a, is a huge influence on the books. Um, and I always try, whatever I'm writing, I try to make sure that music's involved in that. But as, as sort of weird luck would have it, the, the McScarfs has been so popular. We, we sold or just about sold out of our, our print run, which is, I don't think we, we ever thought we would even get close but that has developed, the, the, the concept of that has developed now as well into, um, we, we, we've just written a pilot for um, for animation. Wonderful. So That's amazing, man. So it, is, cool. it is so cool. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to sit and name drop who we've done it for or anything like that, but it's really, really exciting. I'll tell you boys after, obviously. Um, but I don't want to jinx anything as well at the same point. Sure, 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 sure. But we've got a couple of um, people that will be pitching this to, um, and one of them in particular is just like, a, it's almost like a, doesn't even feel real. It just feels like the most awesome thing that we can ever do. And I know that's trying to leave it. Everyone like, oh, I wonder what it is. Oh, man, the, the, just, we're, we'll come back out for the McScarfs. You'll you'll see yeah, it on your exactly. TV. Some of the things. We'll come back this time next year, and you know we'll, we'll have a we'll have we'll, we can add animator or showrunner or or something to your to your title. Oh, I, I hope to be like some sort of like executive or non-executive producer oh, yeah, for for this kind of stuff. 
Um, same with Graham as well. But but yeah, so we, the, the McScarfs developed from this introduction to Scotland, which is like 10 animals, 10 Scottish animals with 10 Scottish names. They go and visit 10 Scottish locations. So it's very easy for the for the young reader to kind of navigate their way through. And then we started thinking, like, how cool would it be to sort of develop that concept um, into something a little bit more structured, like a proper story. So we've now, like, say we i've introduced a new character called lexi she's like a like a little you know she's like a 10 11 year old sort of girl adventurer at heart um then she goes up to to stay in the north of scotland where uncle wallace and uncle wallace is like a total eccentric type character and he's a bit of an explorer himself and they kind of go in this like you know a bit of an introduction to to this sort of um this legend, the legend of the McScarfs is, is what it's called, sorry. And, um, and yeah, they, they, it's, a, it's a bit like a treasure hunt, problem-solving treasure hunt type thing. And as I say, we've kind of written the pilot now. Um, Graham is, is illustrating all the sort of the, the sort of storyboard things and things like that. And then we'll have an opportunity to pitch um, to a couple of places. And then, yeah, it, it's, that, that, that could take our, our journey from storybooks into something totally different. But but writing is something that I've I've always been keen at doing. I've just never publicised it, and then I just had yeah the, the sort of idea during lockdown to actually do something with it. And then there you go, take take a bit of a gamble, a bit of risk, and then here you are, a year and a half later or what have you, and or a couple of years later, and, and we've we've created four really like I mean I, again I feel like a bit of a fraud sometimes saying I'm an author, but I am. Like you are, you are a published author, Wilkie. You yeah, are a published the, author. It's amazing. Congratulations. You can find us on Waterstones and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, so we're, if for any of our listeners who have kids, where can they actually buy? So you can, yeah, you can, you can buy, you can buy it through Waterstones online. Uh, we've, we've got our website, pmgjstorybooks.com. Um, and you can buy it direct from us, basically. Uh, uh, but you can, yeah, if you just type it in on the internet, you'll, you will find, you will find it. Um, PMJG GJ, yeah. For, for, I don't know why we called. Well, the reason why we called it is because Paul Michael was my first initials and Graham James. We just didn't have a name to call it, so <laughs> it's almost it's it. almost as difficult a tongue twister as AOGB. Do you know what I mean? It's like where, where are we getting these these from? Um, but yeah, so that, that's where the name comes from. But yeah, you can find us online and stuff like that. Uh, cool. But yeah, but it's it's all it's all born in the. It's, it's, it's kind of like who I am as a person. I'm, a, I'm as cheesy as it sounds. I'm a, I'm a proper goal setter, so I always have goals that I'm working towards. Yeah, I'm, I've always got goals that I'm working towards, and and this is this is the sort of the continuation of a goal that I set myself a couple of years ago, and now I'm in a position where I can reset those goals or revise those goals and targets and kind of work towards. That's how that's what keeps me going, keeps me motivated. Can't can't wait to see how uh, how this is going to go and and. Uh, will we be watching the McScarf Adventures on on a certain something in the future? It's so exciting! Brilliant. Well, you just you just never know. You just never know. So fingers crossed. Cool, man. Well, thanks again for coming on and for bringing the remote part to the pod. I loved it, and now I'm gonna have to go listen to some American punk band. Great. Yeah, man. Lav, do you want to take us home? Yeah. So uh, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, please do check us out on Instagram and Twitter at AOGB Podcast for all the latest episodes and memes and all you, all that good stuff. Thank you very much uh, to Paul for joining us today. Uh, next time on Alive with Splethering, we promise, uh, I will be discussing no effects. Pump up the volume. Good night. Good night. Good night.